0: Hello and welcome to Engage Your World, the podcast of Engage 360 Ministries. Today we are continuing on in our series in the book of Acts, looking at uh, the evangelistic encounters that we find throughout and applying our gospel framework that comes from the overall process and approach that the disciples, the apostles use as they're doing outreach. But today we're going to go through Acts 9, And so we're going to touch on something that goes a little far afield from our typical conversations because we're going to look first at the conversion of Saul. Uh, There are some interesting details around that incident, who Saul was, how he's going to function that we think tie into other aspects of the training. So we'll get into that discussion first and then look at some of his first evangelistic encounters that we find in the rest of Acts 9. And joining me today for this conversation is Josh Erleen, who is on our training team. And really excited to have you here. Really excited to jump into this conversation, Josh. All right. So let's start here with nine. We have uh, at the beginning of nine, we have the conversion of Saul. So I'll read a little bit and then we'll jump into discussion. So starting in verse one. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Okay, so... What uh, Josh and I were talking about earlier that I think is really relevant to share here is what I've seen often done where there is a distinction made with Saul and Paul. And I've heard it often taught that Saul becomes Paul and then goes forward as an apostle of the Lord. And there's varying implications, but often the sense I get behind that is that Saul leaves behind all the old and becomes Paul, which is the new. Uh, But that's just mistaken, even from a plain reading of the text, because Saul is not his name before this incident on the road to Damascus, and then he goes by Paul after that. Even continuing on in the books of Acts, it's not until chapter 13 that he starts to be called by Paul, and Luke notes that Saul, who was also called Paul, and then from there on starts using Paul as his name. And there's a context for that that seems to be because he's going primarily out to the Gentiles or to the Gentile world that he starts being referenced by his more Roman name, Paul. But there's a backstory to that. So, Josh, I'll let you maybe jump in initially on that backstory and, and what we were discussing, and then I'll add detail as is fitting. Uh, but what is, what is the deal with that Saul-Paul distinction? Why, why is he called by two names?
1: Yeah, so this was not uncommon, and we see it with other uh, biblical (laughs) characters. Like, you may have heard of a man named Cephas, you know, or or Simon, you know, or Peter. Well, which was it? Well, it's all of them. Sometimes he was called by this name. Sometimes he was called by that name. But everybody knew who you were talking about if you said Cephas. Paul even uses Cephas sometimes. And so the same is true with Saul, or more commonly we call him Paul, that was the name that would, would have been more common in the Greek-speaking world, Saul being the Jewish name, and as you said, Paul being a more Roman, uh, Hellenistic name, and I think we need to be careful not to make too much of the name change, that it's just, it seems like it's just coincidentally, that it's right around his conversion that we start right. calling him Paul. It's actually not even right around, it's a little bit later, but a good bit after his conversion we start calling him Paul. And some people like to... Attach it to his conversion because it preaches well. It is true that when God saves you, the old things are gone, the new things have come, and it's a radical transformation. All of that is true, but we need to well, be careful and, not to read. And is even made
0: explicit into the text to not be true not by there. the text, because he continues to be called Saul throughout nine and ten and eleven exactly. and twelve, and it's in thirteen that then we find out. Oh, he's also called Paul, but he has been all along. And where I thought this tied in so well with our training is that two things are true. They might seem opposed, but they're both true and they're both important. One is that God will use you because of who you are to effectively reach some people because of your background, because of your gifting, because of your training. And at other times, he'll use you in spite of who you are. <laughs> and and both those are true, but... We don't want to lose track of the because of who you are because one of our fears is that too often people feel like because they are not gifted as an evangelist, because they're not gifted as a teacher, because they're not gifted at memorizing scripture or thinking of answers to questions, that they're not fit to do evangelism, quote unquote. And so the beauty of it is that God will use you because of who you are, even if that doesn't mean you're the best teacher or you're a gifted evangelist. God will use the quiet introvert who hasn't had any formal training in seminary to reach people who are similar, and that's fine. And it doesn't mean that we can't all continue to learn and grow, but what we stress at Engage 360 is we want to help you become a better version of yourself. Our goal is not to make you a mini version of the ideal evangelist or a mini version of anyone on our team or a mini version of an apologist. That's not the goal. The goal is we want to use the training, gifting, background experiences that God has given us to help you to be a better version of you. How that ties in here with Acts 9 and Saul's conversion is that there are aspects about Saul that make him uniquely fit to reach the gentiles with the gospel. He has the familiarity with that Roman world, being a Roman mm-hmm. citizen, having a Roman name already, a Hellenistic, you know, name that he goes by. There are both ways that he's going to be kind of uniquely prepared and perhaps be able to fit into that world a little bit easier because of those things. And so we don't want to lose track of, and kind of the way I would summarize it in what we were talking about earlier, was it wasn't that God changed Saul, and now he's Paul, and he's this totally different guy, and now he can go do God's work. The very things that made Saul who he was continued, in a lot of the same ways, just with a right understanding that Jesus was the Messiah. But God's not radically changing Paul, Saul in that he's leaving behind his whole past, all of his knowledge, all of his experience. And now he's this new person.
1: Yeah. It, now uh, we want to be careful to say Changed. that, you know, in <laughs> right Saul's conversion, he is a new person. I mean, it's, yeah. So he's, he, he's changed. He's gone Absolute. from darkness to light, you know, from, you know, dead to alive, you know, the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of Christ, you know, so there's this radical fundamental transformation Correct. that's happened within Saul. So that's true. But I think what you're getting at is it's not his conversion. And then his uh, right. vocation is not a complete repudiation of everything in his past. Now it is right. maybe somewhat ironic to those that perhaps knew Paul that now he's an apostle to the Gentiles and not to the Jews because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. This guy, you know, knew the law. He was, you know, zealous. He was strict. This guy had his ducks in a row. He knew what he was doing and God doesn't use him for that. That's an example of how God will, you know, use somebody not in the way we think. But also he did have, as you said, he's, He's got this this Hellenistic background, being a Roman citizen, you know, having a Hellenistic name and who knows whatever else. And and obviously, as we saw in uh or maybe we will see coming up, yeah, Acts 17, we'll see yeah, he's- that he's evidently read, you know, some of the classic poets and some of the Greek literature and, and things like that. So his education is being redeemed. His experiences are being redeemed, and God is using, according to his own good pleasure, he's using this set of experiences and skills, not those. This one, not that. You know, it's according to the way God chooses, right. correct. But it's as you said, it's not a repudiation of yep all that history that Paul had as a Roman and his Hellenistic influence and everything like that. It was it was a redeemed right use of that right.
0: Well, and, and you look, you think of some of the other disciples, apostles, and how they are sort of overcoming their background in a sense of, wait, these are just common fishermen. yeah Who are these men to co-teaching such unique and incredible things? And then when they receive the power from the spirit, as we're going to see actually right here at the end of Acts 9, we'll talk about it in an instant, but they're confounding people because these are common fishermen who are teaching as though they're learned, <laughs> educated yeah. disciples Of a legitimate rabbi, so so what is going on with that? And in a similar way, Saul is going to be shocking people, saying, "Wait a second, this is that hyperzealous Pharisee that wanted to kill all the Christians, and now he's helping lead the charge for them." What is going on? Uh, It doesn't fit, but it does in another sense. And God uses the advantages that those common fishermen had, and the things that helped them to be effective in reaching people in certain ways, certain things about their background become an advantage. And in the same way, things about Paul's, Saul's background becomes an advantage. And so God redeems what is there and does radically transform each individual through their conversion. But it's not, like you said, it's not a repudiation yeah. of everything that's passed. It's now going to be a redeeming of many of those things.
1: Yeah. And a couple examples. I mean, I mentioned... Paul quotes some of the Greek poets, you know, that's one example of how God is going to leverage the background and context that Paul grew up in. Has. Uh, but also mm-hmm. Paul's understanding of Roman culture and law is going to be an important part of his testimony before kings and governors and ultimately before Caesar. You know, this is something right. that Peter couldn't have done. Evidently, I mean, we don't hear of Peter being a Roman citizen. Maybe he was, right? But if he was not, only a Roman citizen could do what Paul some of the yeah some of the things that right. Paul does in
0: and you don't mean you don't mean like God couldn't have given him the skill to be able to talk to no. those people. You're saying he wouldn't have had the credentials to even get the hearing, right?
1: Right. Yeah, there were there were laws, you know. The Romans, the Pax Romana was was a real thing. You know, the the peace of Rome. They had. They had strict laws and systems set in place for the protection of Roman citizens and things like that. And these were the things that God leveraged to put Paul in front of these uh, influential uh, Roman leaders, you know, governors and kings and Caesar himself, that a non-citizen, I think, would have needed more direct, radical, divine intervention to get in there. Yep, yep.
0: Yeah, and then the other part of it is that While Paul does primarily go to the Gentiles, or in large part that's his goal, that's kind of his target, along the way he's always going to the synagogues and trying to reach the Jews with the gospel. And there he's focusing on the fact that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. When he's reaching the Gentiles, he's appealing to things that make more sense to them. In the same way, Peter... Some of the other disciples that may have been more focused on time with the Jews still had interactions with Gentiles. And so it's not all of one or the other, but you see kind of more of a primary focus that seems to emerge often. It's not surprising given their backgrounds.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting to me that Paul kept trying to reach the Jews. In fact, that was his heart. He says in Romans that his heart's desire is that his people according to the flesh would come to know the messiah I'm paraphrasing and he even goes on to say that he would be willing to be himself cut off <laughs> right. if they would be saved which is i mean that's huge i don't know that i could say that but you look at the fruit of his ministry and we kind of see what god indeed was blessing and i think that i think that paul is kind of seeing God's providence in that. And maybe God was telling him directly, but you know, there's a point where he says to the Jews, since you don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah. And so and Peter, you know, had fruit and a blessed ministry among the Jews. Now, as you said, not just the Jews, there's also Cornelius is a yep. striking example of a a Gentile. non-Jewish convert, right? Um, and I think an important part in the story that God's telling about the unity of the church and
0: absolutely you know, the
1: one way of salvation for both Jews and non-Jews. You know that it's just it's one it's one body. It's not two things. No two tracks.
0: Right. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And. The takeaway, kind of just putting a bow on this, what's the application? Although I know we've kind of said this already, but what's the application for any of you listening? Well, God is going to use you both because of who you are and in spite of who you are. You know, you make yourself available. You be intentional to look for opportunities. And you'll be surprised how often you see these things that you just seem very uniquely fit to reach this person. And then there's other times you're going to be amazed at how God helps you to reach someone who's very different. And maybe you're not the one to long-term disciple them. Maybe it makes sense to plug them in or you have an initial conversation and then you hand them off to someone else who's better suited. But God can use you in spite of who you are and because of who you are. And so just keep that in mind. We're not trying to change you. And I I think anyone who takes that approach, whether it's in evangelism or apologetics or anything like that, and is trying to make everyone into a version of themselves, it's, it's, it's just not the the way we're commended to use our gifts biblically we want to use our gifts to build people up and make them a better version of themselves and that's happening in all directions in the church all the giftings all the backgrounds all the people each each part each body part that's a part of the body helps the other parts to become a better version of whatever their part is and so we work together in that way
1: right yeah and not to put too fine a point on it it doesn't seem to be the, as you said, the biblical pattern, you know, that everyone's supposed to be the same thing working in the same exact way, but it's also, it's, it's not livable. It's, it's just an untenable position to hold that, to try to fit people into a particular type of evangelism strategy, you know, one size fits all. Here's what you do. Right. You know, everybody needs to be on the street corners tomorrow or whatever, whatever. Your, your pet right. evangelistic method is. And that just doesn't, it, it's just not, not livable. Now you may get people to do it, but it's not, it's not going to be sustainable. Right. So I got saved in 1990. So here we are 30, coming up on 33 years. And I remember back as a new believer, people were asking the question, why don't people share their faith? Okay. So this is not now, you know, somebody older than I can, I'm sure it, attest to the fact that it's probably even an older problem than that right but you know even then people were asking why aren't people doing this why aren't people doing this well i think there's a a a few reasons one of them is is this that we're talking about if you try to get somebody to do a stand-in they're just a hireling Mm -hmm. they're not a shepherd in that sense you know they're like they're just hired to do that job and if they're not suited to that gifted to that called to that their endurance is only gonna be so long. There are some that are gonna endure a long, right. long time, but the mass the masses aren't gonna are not right. gonna stick with it. But what if God actually yeah. wanted to use you in the way that was unique to you, not in a way that's always comfortable to you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah,
1: you because know, it does take courage and it does take discipline. Absolutely. As with everything. And humility. And humility. <laughs> but what if God has a glorious plan? That bears fruit. Hmm. And I think he does.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we'll touch on a few other things here in nine as Saul starts to go out before we wrap up this episode. But we don't have a lot of substance to these interactions. But we do have a couple. So uh, I'm going to skip ahead here. If you're reading along, if you have your Bible open, we can move on to verse twenty. So I'll start just a little bit before that. But for some days, he, that's being Paul, was with the disciples at Damascus. And then in verse 20, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Okay, so this is our first interaction. And, you know, it's just, it goes to what we had already alluded to here, Josh, which is that Paul is going to have, Saul is going to have sort of a unique opportunity to present this contrast, going from the one who was persecuting the Christians to now the one who is uh, the the followers of the way, the way of Christ, uh, and now uh, he's becoming a member of it, and not just a member, but an outspoken member, and it gives him, in a sense, a foothold to sort of get a lot of attention, though probably a lot of concern as well. There may have been some who initially are thinking, you know, is is this a trap? What is what is going on here? Weird. But what I thought was very interesting is the emphasis here is he's saying that Jesus is the Son of God, and then he's proving that Jesus was the Christ, which goes back to another thing we've talked about. It's a core part of our training. Though it's more than just facts, it's not less than that. The gospel is a set of facts. And the big hang-up for the Jews, and this goes to understanding who the audience, gauging the audience, and then explaining the gospel and that having context in who the audience is, Paul, Saul knows that the Jews are hung up on how can Jesus be the Messiah, given that he was crucified, given that he died, given that he didn't meet their expectations. And what we always emphasize when we do our live training events is it's not that he didn't meet the expectations it's that he so far exceeded the expectations that they thought he missed the expectations because they were expecting a conquering king and jesus was a conquering king but he didn't come to conquer the romans he came to conquer sin and death so the greater fulfillment actually causes people to miss it including saul and you could even say the very disciples that were with jesus during his earthly ministry when he's crucified, they don't go out proclaiming that he's the son of God, that he's the Christ, you know, that there's life eternal in him alone. That day, they go hide away and are cowering in fear because they don't understand what's going on. Well, Paul didn't understand what was going on either, but, but it just took him longer to come around to it. But it's a very similar overall. It's a similar story. He, the contrast becomes more significant because he was killing the Christians initially. But it's that same sort of general process.
1: Right. Right. I remember a pastor in my hometown. He wasn't at at my church, but a a neighboring church uh, of good reputation. He actually grew up in the town that I'm from. And he said he enjoyed being a pastor in his hometown because he had a built-in testimony. Because there there were people there that knew him before and couldn't help but see the change that had happened now and i think this is this is the same type of thing that's happening with paul you know they they knew him this he was a rising star evidently you know pharisee tradition i don't know how famous he was or he was at least somewhat infamous right. they they knew that he'd been there or been sent there for the purpose of persecuting the the
0: christians and i could jump in and and add quick that if i'm remembering correctly he was a disciple of Gamaliel, yeah. who was a big deal, like was the one of the, if I'm not mistaken here, and again, this is not my expertise, but if I'm not mistaken, he was a major star in the world of the Pharisees and the Jews.
1: Yeah. And I had heard that as well. And so this is where, you know, testimonies really, really can highlight the gospel, though Paul here is not sharing his testimony. It's just built in. The people know him and correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The radical transformation that God has wrought, it's divine irony. Like, wait, aren't you the guy? Yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm that guy. So, love that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then we have a similar incident as we continue on here, um, going down, uh, starting in verse 28. Now, Now Saul is in Jerusalem. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Okay, so now we have here the Hellenists. So Josh, who are these Hellenists? What is this uh, group that's being referenced?
1: Yeah, so these are the uh, uh, these are Jews that have uh, not just learned the Greek language, but they really are culturally Greek, so that that's what Hellenistic means. They're steeped in the Hellenistic culture. I'm, I'm sure there's very Jewish distinctive still, but a lot of their lifestyle and culture is very Greek.
0: Okay. Obviously, I don't think the text is in any way clear on this, but whether intentional or just incidental here, we're kind of getting maybe an early preview of the ministry of Saul to come, because you have him with his unique background, unique way to be able to reach the Jews, or at least have a unique testimony amongst the Jews, given his background as a Pharisee, who he studied under, those kinds of things. But then you have him now uniquely suited to be able to Reach these Greek Jews, these Greek-influenced Jews, because he understands that world as well. And so you have uh, someone who can kind of traverse both worlds, and that's essentially who these Hellenists are. They're Jews, but they're kind of culturally Greek. Now you have him being able to uniquely understand those individuals who are Hellenists, both Jewish and Greek in their culture. All right, and then the uh, kind of final thing, and uh, we won't read much of the text on this because I know we're probably pushing close to 30 minutes already here, but they continue on, and we shift over to having Peter uh, interacting here. And he does this miraculous healing of this woman who's Tabitha, but also called Dorcas. So as we have a Saul and a Paul, we have a Tabitha and a Dorcas, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And so, Peter heals her, but where this becomes a relevant evangelistic incident is that starting in verse 42. So, again, we're still in chapter 9, starting in verse 42. Uh, After this healing, it says, And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. All right, so... The relevance of this miraculous, and I'm sure we've talked about this before, but we're going to keep talking about it because it, it is very relevant. So, Josh, what's the relevance and, and why is this such a big deal? Yeah, this you know, when we were talking thing? about
1: this before, I had said we need to beat this drum every opportunity we get. You know, <laughs> yes. first first, let me say, because I don't want to be misunderstood, that God really does care about our suffering, that God really does care. You know, Jesus was moved with compassion On the people that were struggling and hurting and in pain but we have to see that the miracles served a purpose that was bigger than our physical ailments that was so much more important than our physical healing and it was to confirm the message that saves to confirm the messenger that was bringing the message that's you know jesus said at one point if you don't believe me believe the works that I do or they testify about me, you know, and this is what's happening here is that God is doing miracles through Peter. And even this, even culminating in raising this woman from the dead. And it's to not just to restore her to her family and to extend her life, which were beautiful things. And, and I don't mean to downplay that except in light of the gospel. I mean, this, he's got right. this message that he's sending out and god wants people to know yeah what peter's saying is true that jesus is lord he is the christ he is risen from the dead and faith in him really does save and you can have your sins forgiven
0: yeah and they it seems at least from what we have in the text somehow the apostles that had this ability were able to use it in a way that they continually pointed to Jesus through it. It never became about them, at least that I can think of, in their mind or even often in the minds of the people. It seems like, whether it's God's protection of this or their submission and humility to understanding it. I think it might be
1: both because I'm thinking of a couple of situations like where... Paul and Barnabas, you know, Paul does this miracle. I forget what the miracle was. And the city is like astounded. They think Zeus and Hermes have come down <laughs> right. to earth. And, okay. you know, and they have to work hard to keep the people from, from sacrificing. Right. That's true. Well, so he, that's right. But even with Peter, we have an occasion. I just read it this morning. Peter, he healed. I think the guy was, uh, I don't know if he, I can't remember if he was blind or lame. I can't remember. But, um the crowds like come around Peter and he's like, Mm -hmm. why are you looking at me as, as if through my power or piety, I made this man. Well, let me tell you what made mm -hmm. this man. Well, it was the name (laughs) of Jesus, right? You know, he's pointing in that direction, but there's also, there's also a sense in which I think God does work in and through us in a way that gives him glory. Like Paul says in Mm -hmm. one place, Ooh, maybe it's Peter. I should have looked this up. But the the verse goes like this. I've often quoted it uh, as my wife and I pray for uh, the Bible study uh, evenings that we have. It says, Let him who speaks speak as though speaking the very words of God and let him who serves do so in the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised. Hmm. So that however we're serving it's to be in a particular way that they hear from God not from us. Or they see it as being received from God. I heard a missionary say, you know, they were, they were hungry. They didn't have food. Uh, they didn't have money for food. They're out in the jungles, knock at the door. There's a bag of groceries. This is what the missionary said. I don't know who brought it, but I know who sent it.
0: <laughs> there you go. You know, there that's, you go, yeah. that's
1: exactly it. And I've had occasions where people have said things to me, you know, confronted me about, about stuff. And I'm like, it rang in my ears. Like it was the voice of God. And it's like, okay, okay, you know, I forget who said it, but I know I heard the voice of God that day.
0: <laughs> there you go. You know? There you go. Yeah. And for those of you, maybe if this is the first episode you're listening to uh, a little on our format here, we do we do some prep. We usually have a little bit of a discussion before this. But the main point or the main purpose, our, our approach is we want this to be a conversation. This is not a highly academic you know, getting into the original languages type podcast going through the series. Not that that's wrong. There's nothing wrong with those. That's just not our intention. We want this to be a conversation. We're kind of doing just a overview of the text. What do we see? What jumps out? Drawing on maybe some prior knowledge that we have. But the point is to be a conversation, and you're welcomed into that conversation. And hopefully that's what you're getting and uh, continue to get as we continue through this series. Uh, You can join us next time. We're going to move on to Acts 10, and there's going to be a lot packed into that. So uh, you will definitely want to listen. But uh, appreciate all of your insights, Josh, and for joining me. I really enjoy doing these and and hope that everyone listening gets as much fun out of it and enjoyment as we do, because I know we both have a lot of fun with it. Yes, we do. Excellent. All right. Well, again, thank you for joining us for Engage Your World, and we will see you next time engage
1: your world exists to help you know share and grow in your faith thanks for tuning in